Hi, this is Tom Vanderzee, and today's reading is from Exodus 31, verses 12 through 18. Instructions for the Sabbath. The Lord then gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. You must keep the Sabbath day, for it is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. When the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, written by the finger of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had two different summer jobs when I was a teenager out in Bakersfield, California. I worked with two different harvests, potatoes and mixed melons or mostly honeydew melons. In both jobs, I worked at what were called the sheds. These were packing sheds where the harvested produce was brought in from the fields and at the sheds they were washed, sorted and packaged up. Then they were loaded onto train cars and semi-trucks and shipped out. Now the melon harvest happened in the month of July. It was a short but intense season. The work days often lasted from 11 to 12 hours. We typically worked both of the middle Sundays of this four-week harvest, which amounted to upwards of 20 days in a row of work. You could see morale going downhill as the consecutive days slowly passed by. My fellow employees and I became short-tempered, angry, sad. People were just exhausted. I'll never forget around day 18 one year, seeing this muscular guy on an idling forklift, waiting his turn to move a load. He had on mirror sunglasses and was staring straight ahead, and I saw a tear rolling down his cheek tough guy, crying. I personally didn't feel close to tears at that time, but I understood. We were all feeling about the same way. Now contrast that with my younger years in Grand Rapids. My dad was a pastor. My brothers and sisters and I were raised with a pretty strict sense of keeping the Sabbath. No work on Sunday, among many other restrictions. Really, in my young eyes, this meant no fun on Sunday. We went to church and Sunday school in the morning, had a big Sunday dinner. It was never considered to be lunch on Sunday. And then we did nothing. Or in my mind, we weren't allowed to do anything. We killed time until supper, and then we had the privilege of going to night church. I got headaches, I was so bored. The one rule that especially got to my active little boy self was no bike riding on Sunday. Sometime in my early elementary years, I pressed this issue with my parents. Things went back and forth for a bit with me pleading my case. 
Then I sulked on off to my room. And I'll never forget my dad coming upstairs, opening the door to my bedroom, and finally saying, Oh, go ride your bike. Before I delve into these experiences further, I want to look at what we find happening in Exodus. We have the command being restated about honoring the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath day holy. The people of Israel were being commanded to rest. Now from what had they just broken away? Slavery, generations of slavery, long hours, cruel slave drivers, beatings. And now they were being told, commanded, to rest on a regular basis? What great news. That had to sound like music to their ears. I would think that it would be easy for the Israelites to worship God and to rest, maybe be truly obedient to this for the rest of their lives. Well, we don't have to wait long for this one. In the very next chapter, we find that the people of God didn't do so well in that regard. Many of you may be familiar with the golden calf story, but that's for a different devotional. Additionally, I want to point out that today's passage comes right after a lengthy set of instructions about the building of the tabernacle and the elements within the tabernacle. So God was setting up the location for worship, the tabernacle, for the people of Israel. God was also setting aside the time for worship. Every seventh day was to be a Sabbath day. In other words, God was establishing the place and the space. Back to my earlier examples, the melon shed example. Now, I was a fairly immature Christian at the time, but this experience made me realize how true and wise this biblical principle of rest is. For me, it clearly illustrated that our bodies need a rest from our work, from our routine. No one is at their best when work like that. It had negative effects physically, mentally, spiritually. We all need a little time away, a time for rest, and God knows this. He built us this way. We were made to need rest, and we were made to worship, to worship our Creator. Very few of us are going to be a, propo a proponent of that type of work schedule for an extended amount of time, the long hours, 18 or 20 days in a row, but there are, there are some, some who just can't seem to slow down can't seem to sit still. Some who have trouble relaxing, even when they're on vacation. But for many of us, we may not be working our jobs on the weekend, but we may be doing other non-restful things. Perhaps a huge home project, or a yard project that eats up most of Saturday and Sunday. Or maybe we're pursuing fun times, or travel, or travel teams. So much that when we get back to our jobs after having time off, we are really, really tired. Our Western, Western society typically doesn't do too well with this Sabbath principle. Now my other example. When I was growing up, the Sunday rules slash no bike riding thing. In today's world, it seems kind of ridiculous. Christian communities have moved past most of these extra rules regarding Sundays. Beyond that, though, even if I were blindly obedient to all of those Sunday restrictions as a child, I most likely wouldn't have had my heart in it. 
I could have obeyed the rules, but I would have ignored the relationship. Rules versus relationship. God doesn't want us just to rest for our renewal, though he does want that, but to rest in him. Every day, but especially the Sabbath day, is a good day to spend significant time with God. Time with God in worship, in prayer, in reading his word, perhaps listening to Christian music. God loves us and he wants our love in return. Not from a distance, not just on occasion, not just like with some aunt or uncle whom you really love, but you only see and talk to this person uh, two or three times throughout the year maybe. God wants a relationship. He wants us to really know him. This idea reminds me of one of my favorite lines from Dave Ramsey's financial peace class, and that's this. God isn't angry with you. He's not mad about the things you've done. No, he misses you. And how amazing is that? The creator of the universe, this all-knowing, all-powerful, holy God of all creation wants to have a relationship with you and with me. That reminds me of another story, this one from the book of Luke. Jesus visits Martha and Mary. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Martha wasn't just doing busy work in this scene. She had a meal to prepare for Jesus, the 12 disciples, maybe there were others. At least 15 people needed to eat. One can almost read her mind, right? This meal is not going to fix itself. But Jesus tells her and us that there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary had discovered it. And what was Mary doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what was taught. That's God's invitation to the Israelites, and that's God's invitation to us. We have a lot of things that we want to accomplish, and that in itself is, is not a bad thing, but it's not the main thing. It's not the one thing worth being concerned about. Admittedly, this is challenging. It especially, it's especially challenging for those in certain life stages and life situations. Single mothers, those raising young families, those with big demands at work. For all of us, it's a faith test, isn't it? We can, re can we really put things aside for a while and trust that everything will be okay? But we are told in this passage that we have six days to do all of our work. Then we need to rest in him recharge, renew. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's the command, and that's the loving invitation from our God, the God who knows us, loves us, and wants us 
to know and love him. How will you respond to this invitation? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please clear a pathway in order for us to get to you. Get rid of the obstacles that might be between us and you so that we may truly know you, so that we may rest in you. Amen. Have a great day.